You're listening to The Lisa Wentz Show. Thank you for being here. I'm thrilled to have you. Let's get started. Today's guest, Anna Malika Tubbs, is an author, educator, advocate, and public speaker. Anna has published articles on issues ranging from mass incarceration to the forced sterilization of black women, as well as the importance of feminism, intersectionality, and inclusivity. Inclusivity, thank you very much. Her work has been featured in the Huffington Post, For Harriet, Darling Magazine, and Blavity. Her first book, titled The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation, is now available at all major outlets. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's a pleasure. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Okay, I want to jump right in with the book. We'll talk about you in your professional life as well, but I have to start with the book here. Tell us a bit about the catalyst for writing the book. What made you want to write it? Yeah, I started my PhD knowing that I wanted to join other scholars who were correcting the erasure of Black women's stories and Black women's experiences. I was inspired by Margot Lee Shetterly's Hidden Figures that went on to become, you know, this very successful film. Um, And also Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns. Even though all three of her characters are not all women, she speaks to the importance of understanding the Black American experience in order to understand American history and where we find ourselves as a country today. So when I started my PhD, this gave me a very broad kind of landscape to choose from because unfortunately so many of our stories are forgotten or hidden or covered way or another. And I also knew I had some limitations. I was going to be doing this project as a sole researcher. I had three years to complete it. Since I'd already done my master's, it was going to be a fast program. And that's where of starting with someone famous came to mind and taking from stories and finding who was being forgotten because of the spotlight shining so and not to take away from their spotlight but to expand it and to think about them as being a part of a larger and I got excited about women before the men were even thought of or even conceived and motherhood just really became this way to further address eraser and to think about the ways in which we underappreciate mothers and we don't give them the recognition that they deserve. And I chose these three women in particular for several reasons. One, because they were all born within five years of each other um, and their sons, their famous sons were all born within five years of each other. So I could make these connections in history and talk about how different events affected them differently. They all very nuanced approaches to the Black freedom movement. They came from very different backgrounds. They um, had different beliefs. They, you know, were part of relationships that had their challenges and they had different traumas in their lives. And so I could also celebrate diversity and the beauty of the African diaspora and really shattered categories that tried so hard to put Black women into boxes um, boxes that were dehumanizing towards us. So I wanted to break away from that, celebrate these three women, and also talk about how they connected to who we are as Black Americans, Americans today. Got it. Thank you for that. That was very thorough. 
So did you find a, a common link between these women in particular, how they related to their sons? Was there any commonality? There's commonality in their experience is of being Black women who were born during a time where Jim Crow reigned supreme. And even Louise Little, who wasn't born in the United States um, and is in Grenada, she's facing the results of colonization and white supremacist violence against her own people. And so a lot of the commonalities are, are more painful in the sense that no matter how different they are from each other, no matter their different privileges and different experiences. In many ways, they're treated very similarly simply because they are Black girls and later Black women and Black mothers. And that experience of needing to fight to change the systems around them is what unifies their kind of common goal of forcing others to and see their children as the human beings that they are. Their approaches to that motherhood, though, and their approaches to activism and to the larger Black freedom struggle are very different from one another. And it is cool to see how those then intersect uh, through their sons later on. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in another interview that I was listening to that each one of them, so Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, all stated at some point along the line, and maybe even repetitively, it's because my, of my mother that I'm able to do this. And I'm not sure what the this is. I'm assuming this means be a force for change. It could mean other things. I, of course, we want to hear what your interpretation of that is. Definitely. Each son in some way contributed or said mother contributed to their journey, to their path. And I'm imagining in that interview in particular, I was speaking to the work that they were able to perform in the civil rights. And to give specific examples, Alberta King was born to two parents who believe in faith combined with social justice, that you could not be a faith leader without focusing on social justice. And you needed to make sure build this vision on earth of having equal rights and equal access to opportunity. And she teaches MLK Jr. She teaches him the tactics that her family uses, which are marches and boycotts and educating their church community on our rights and the importance of our freedom. And while she doesn't use the term nonviolence, it's what she instills in her son. It's her in a lot of ways for those lessons. We also have whose mom herself was an activist and a freedom fighter. And she leaves Grenada to join a Marcus Garvey movement for Pan-Africanism and Black independence and spreading the message of Black pride and assimilation. And this is later on what Malcolm X also perfects and travels the world, spreading the message um, through the Nation of Islam. But if we have letters that I include in the book where he talks about how his mom was the first to introduce him to this kind of approach to, again, Black freedom. And then with James Baldwin, he inherits his right directly from his mother. Everyone who knew her said that she had a beautiful power with language, that she used words so beautifully, and she would teach others the importance of love and light and finding joy, despite the pain and despite needing to confront the darkness that at the end of the day, we needed to move forward and find um, a path towards light and towards love. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because looking at them as speakers, as communicators, for myself, the thing that strikes me, they're all three different people, different styles, 
there's a couple things that I think are striking, and I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on it. And there's one commonality in terms of how they communicate that is the most striking. Uh, there may be other things they have in common, but the most striking thing to me is the amount of gravitas that each one of these three speakers has, even though I think of James Baldwin, many people think of James Baldwin as primarily a writer, probably, but mm. still he was a great speaker and a great yeah. debater. Um, and the word gravitas is thrown around a lot when it comes to public speaking skills and this kind of thing. And just to define that for our listeners, my definition, the dictionary definition is uh, a sort of somber quality, a really grounded quality and belief and commitment in what you are saying. Um, and I just felt like throwing that out there that at this week as I was watching some some footage, some interviews and whatnot and thinking about how they communicate, that really struck me. And I can I imagine that comes from various things that what you're pointing out right now, their life that they were living, their relationship to their parents in more in particular, their mothers. Um, and I'm not going to go too far into that because that's not my background. That's your background. You're the researcher. <laughs> uh, but that's striking. I wanted to, to talk about that for a minute and anything you might have to say. And then I also wanted to talk about how they affect the effect that they had on others. And I'm going to start by just talking about the effect they have on me. When I listen to Malcolm X, when I watch Malcolm X interviews, when I watch James Baldwin, I am really, I feel that what I'm being I'm being asked to think differently in a very direct and very severe and very uh, good, for lack of another word, way. When I listen to Martin Luther King, I don't, I, fe I just feel I am just overwhelmed with emotion. I'm not, I know that the think differently is in there, but I don't see it as direct. It, it's it's as though he went through a different way in, right? We all have our ways in. Anyways, mm -hmm. I'm just curious in terms of as they are um, the kind of communicators they are and what can we can learn from it, if you have any thoughts on, on anything I'm saying. Definitely. I think, you know, first to talk about the moms and how their experiences, even with education, later influence their son's abilities to turn those opportunities into these powers of oration. And it's also something that they're exposed to through their fathers, even though their fathers don't have as many privileges and opportunities with education as the mothers did. Uh, the fathers have, all three have a passion for ministry and they're all leaders in the church and uh, ministers who want to spread the message of black freedom through their faith. And so the sons grow up both being the dads much more at the forefront of speaking um, because their mothers were restricted more so from doing that. And also learning from their mothers the importance <clears throat> of language and of education and, and vocabulary. So Louise Little would have her children sit down at the end of the day and read different newspapers from around the world. And if they didn't know any of the words that they encountered, they had to look those words up in a dictionary that she provided them with commit that word to, to memory and then continue their reading. She was well aware of the power of words. Same with Burtis Baldwin. You know, she perfected her own language. She wanted her children to understand the power of expanding their minds in this way and encouraged them to pursue passions that, that allowed them to learn more about the world. And so 
is this combination of seeing both the written form as well as a spoken form of language that these three sons perfect their ability to communicate with audiences on the world. And I agree, as much as James Baldwin, of course, is known as this famous writer, what his ability that made him so famous was his ability to speak on national national shows as a black man who this was terrifying. This was a risk that he was taking and audience members just felt drawn to hearing him and listening to him and were very willing to start changing their perspective in the way that he kind of forces his audience members to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a great takeaway in that in terms of, you know, our convictions. So you said a second ago, it was scary, right? And go, scary, I guess, for various reasons. You're going to be met with a lot of um, defensiveness, possibly um, anger, even um, scary, violence. On many violence. Yeah, I was about to say that threats. Um, but again, being grounded in knowing that what your conviction is, is solid. That, that sense of knowing, that sense of no one can take this from me, period. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something that their communities and their families really embedded in them that this is part of a much larger cause. It's something that we've passed down to you from our own family members. You are part of a legacy and you are doing the right thing, even if it causes us fear, even if we're worried for your lives, you have a purpose to fulfill because we can't just accept these systems that treat us as less than human we have to live life by attempting to change them while we're here on earth and hoping that that continue even beyond our time. That conviction comes from, in many ways, a lack of choice. There is no other path other than to address this and to change it as much as we can. And I, I want to speak to younger people at this precise moment, if you're if you're up for that with me, or yeah. to, actually, to be honest with you, age doesn't matter. Uh, what I want to speak to is th- there seems to be kind of a misconception amongst the people that seek me out as a coach sometimes, and they'll say things like, "Well, you you have to be talented, you have to be, have this, you have to have that." Um, I'm not taking away from the support and the influence of the mothers that you're speaking about, but it is not just a chosen few. This is something that you can commit to and learn in terms of being a great speaker, in Mm -hmm. terms of finding your truth, connecting with what is right and speaking out as you're, you know, talking about here. And is there anything, let's say, let's say that the children out there, the younger people, people growing up without parents, is there anything you would say to them about what is an achievable goal as, as a speaker, communicator and activist I think it's, you know, what you're saying, these are skills that can be developed and similar to what we were before with what the mothers were teaching their sons, it's these skills that you can perfect, you know, something like reading newspapers and looking up a word in the dictionary is not necessarily something that you um, need someone right there with you to tell you to do, but The book is also filled with kind of direction on actions that you can take to become an activist and uh, the different ways that the moms showed that in their own lives and how they sought to perfect their their own talents and then how the sons add 
at, through meeting mentors or, you know, pursuing different degrees um, or practicing inspiration, whether that's in their churches or beyond. There are all of these different examples where we see them develop as the leaders that they become. You have quite a few takeaways in the book. And to just to put you on the spot, if you could pick one thing, <laughs> one thing that is the most important thing to you that you would want readers to take away, what would you say that is? Down to one. So if you don't mind giving me three, I would. <laughs> okay, you got it. three. You get three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the first would be that when we're telling stories about history as a country, that we stop focusing on these individuals as if they are sort of unicorns uh, without any background or any experiences that led them to where they were as these famous people. And especially because this one-sided story is often told about men and male leaders. And with that, we forget everything that goes into making them who they are and the people who are around them and the communities that were around them. And we lose out on this generational passing of knowledge that we ourselves are connected to. We're connected to these movements that are passed on uh, through teachings, through bodies. And I want us to shift our dialogue around that to stop the individual and instead focus on the community. The second is a greater appreciation for mother work. And it's not only in biological motherhood, but qualities that we more often associate with feminine qualities of caring for others, educating others, nurturing others, to see those as positions of strength and power that are deserving of recognition and deserving of self Thirdly, I want more of us to feel that we have a play, that we can all be activists in our own way, that we're a part of something larger, and we all have unique talents to bring that team. Thank you for that. And I'm glad that you put me in my place and said you need three because the, 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 you did need three. <laughs> One is so hard. It's just so difficult. <laughs> well, I like to distill things down and, and, and you know, but um, to, to go on that a little bit further to my own perspective, if you don't mind, is when you started to talk about the third, which is the activism I think it's be, it's probably been clear for a very long time, but certainly has been clear lately that if we don't, if the better angels don't prevail, if we do not work together, we are not going to survive together. Mm -hmm. At least I'm only speaking as an American right now. This is the country I live in. This is the country I'm going to be living in. And I think that, you know, it's funny that back in the 60s, there was, before I was born, there was a movement of peace, love, and harmony. And there were people, lots of people coming together thinking we can achieve this. And at this point in America, it's it's not even about that anymore. It's not about peace and harmony. It's about how do we survive together. I don't know. That's my particular outlook anyway. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it, it really is something about unifying us as a country, but not through this kind of blind acceptance of everything that's happened thus far, but instead it's through vision of difference. It's through thinking about the pains that have been caused for many communities in our country and how do we bring justice so that we can come together as a nation. We're not going to be able to do that unless we're addressing very 
real and sometimes painful and violent histories uh, with a very honest and vulnerable lens. Mm. Would you like to see your book become required reading in middle schools or high schools in America? Oh, that would be an honor. I would ask that. I mean, I, when I was writing, kind of, you know, letting the words lead me. I didn't, I thought about audience members, of course, but I more so was thinking about who I was celebrating in the book, Black women and mothers and activists. And as I started reading more drafts of the book and it started developing more, I thought, how cool would it have been for me to have read this when I was in high school? Um, How differently I would understand, I would have understood our country earlier and had a better understanding of all the different roles that people play in our country, as well as the different ways in which history impacts people differently. You know, when we hear stories about one or World War II or the civil rights movement, you know, before that, um, the Cold War or each president, and we don't associate it with human beings, it kind of can just pass through quickly and we don't kind of sit in that but by hearing these women and their family stories, you then understand history. So I think it's a useful tool through narrative and human connection to, again, understand where we are as a country today. Mm-hmm. And so, Anna, you are also a speaker yourself. Um, and I know that COVID has changed how much public speaking we're doing and, and what, <laughs> what, how we're doing it and all that um, right. and frequency. Uh, but let's say once things lift and and whatnot, and you, I'm guessing, are going to go back to more of that. Where would you like to be speaking? Where, where's your top choices? Where do you want to go from here as a speaker? I would love to be able to do a talk on the power of recognition and celebrating mother work that many of us perform, um, whether or not we're biological mothers. That would would be a dream for me because, you know, these kinds of talks just travel around the world and for years to come. And you never know, similarly with this book where it has a life of its own now, something like that with that kind of platform takes on its own life. Being able to talk to young people is also an important uh, priority for me because I spent years teaching eighth grade through high school through you know 12th grade or seniors and they deserve to have these kinds of conversations much earlier we observe I think this kind of theory around race and gender for those who are privileged enough to go to college and I, I think that we can have these deeper more profound conversations with younger audiences and they benefit from it and we benefit from their understanding. They're facing these, you know, news stories every single day. They're aware of what's happening in our country. And when we leave them out of these conversations that can be healing and can be informative, then we're not doing them any, any, any favors. And we're not doing ourselves any favors. Um, media literacy is something that our country needs to focus on more generally, in my opinion, uh, where we engage with younger audiences um, in complex ways and we respect their minds and say, you can learn about this and you can also contribute to our learning about this. Uh, again, the book title is The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. 
uh, please do uh, check the book out, get it. It will be a great favor to yourself. It'll also be a great gift to give to another another person that you care about. You should read it. And I look forward to seeing your TED Talk when, when it comes out. So thank you for tuning in today to all of our listeners.